text today. It's in Malachi 1.6. We're going to go all the way through um, through chapter 2, verse 9. And of course, as a reminder, the, um, the series that we are in, going through this brief uh, but quite important book of Malachi, is called Indifference. That really is the, the sort of the theme of Malachi's message that he brings on behalf of the Lord to the people of Israel, that they had grown indifferent. And uh, so again, we will look at that theme as well today um, as we see how God speaks specifically to the priests of the day, the religious leaders, the worship leaders, and how they had grown indifferent in their worship and the worship that they led their people in. And I have to say that, you know, uh, we always value here at Trinity going through um, expositionally the Word of God, the whole counsel of God. We go through books of the Bible. Once in a while, we'll do a short series on a topic, but um, we normally will go through books of the Bible, and that brings us to uh, topics like today, things that I might want to skip over myself, but when there are words that are quite condemning of the religious leaders, and then by default, the people of God who were bringing defiled worship, they were bringing um, unworthy worship and sacrifices to a holy and righteous God whose name was being despised. So today, it might not be a lot of fun. There's not a lot of hope in this message, in this book. However, we always do end with a word of hope because we know that we now have Jesus Christ. And what a fitting way as well to talk about how we respond to God's goodness in Jesus Christ through our worship by ending our time gathered around the Lord's table, remembering what he did for us, because that is what brings us hope, all right? So there'll be some harsh words. They're from God's word, not mine. And so I think, um, to be honest, this is one of those messages that as I was preparing, it wasn't a lot of fun. It kind of hurt. It was uncomfortable. But that's okay, because those are the times that we grow, and we have to be uh, introspective and and uh, reflect on where we are in our relationship with God and what kind of worship are we bringing to our Creator, our Maker. And so that's going to be kind of where we're going to park ourselves for a little bit today. You know, um, I think a lot of us, maybe most of us, have been watching the Olympics. It just ended a week or so ago, right? Many of you watched it. And there's different events that we enjoy and that we like. Um, And so I, I tend to like the Summer Olympics a little better, uh, but there were some that we were watching. Some of my family was really involved, so it seems like it was always uh, on the TV. And I noticed that I came across this story. It was an event that I had missed, but towards the end of the Olympic Games, they have the cross-country skiing. Have you seen that? And it looks pretty grueling, you know, and they go for miles and miles. I think it's like a 30-kilometer uh, uh, race and it's pretty amazing if you've seen it you see that in the course right there's hills and there's turns and there's those grooves right that they kind of stay in kind of stay in their lane in a sense and and they're just trucking along i heard it's one of the best exercises for you um, anybody ever done that cross-country skiing you have yeah a couple of us um well a couple of us i don't include myself in that i didn't know 
I don't think I ever would, especially after watching that. But I came across this story, you know, and I thought it was so interesting. You know, if you remember back, um, I, I forget the name of the announcer, but there was always this this uh, great opening, I thought. It was usually on Saturdays to the wild, the wide world of sports. It was a TV show, and they would often show some of these, like, a, a Winter Olympic Games, and it was the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, right? And it's one of those things that there's always, in every Olympic Games, in every sport, there's always those events, those things that happen. They make you cringe. They make you feel so bad for the athlete because they train so hard. And, of course, along with that is, the, you know, the thrill, the victory, and the joy, and the excitement. But I came across this story, and uh, here's what happened. This was towards the end of the Olympic Games. Maybe some of you heard it. During the cross-country skiing event, there was a, um, a skier from Austria named Teresa Stadlober. And what happened was she was on the course, and she was just a few miles away from finishing and this Austrian cross-country skier named Teresa was actually well on her way to a silver medal. She was in second place. Now, the gold medal winner, the one who eventually won, was pretty far ahead. And on this course, you can't really see. They're, they're not bunched up like some other events. And, but she knew that she was safely in second place and was on her way to win a silver medal. It was only her second Olympic Games. But then came the mental mistake of her life. With just a few miles left, the 25-year-old inexplicably veered right on a downhill slope while the rest of the skiers went left. By the time she had discovered what she did and corrected her course, she had fallen from second place to eighth. And her metal hopes had vanished. Afterwards, with her head just down, she was asked about it. She says, I don't know. I don't really know what happened. She wound up taking ninth place. I just took the wrong path. I went the wrong way. I kind of had a blackout. I don't know why I went the wrong way. The team's sports director said that he believes that Stadlober, trailing far behind the eventual champion and gold medal winner, simply took her eyes off of the track for just a moment. For us, he says, it's unbelievable. On this downhill, there are two sides, the right course and the left course. The right course is the first loop, and the left course is the second loop. The second loop is going to the finish line and then he smiled and he said the left one would have been the better choice Stadlober who was racing in just her second Olympics humbly said you simply have to know the course she trained for many years to compete in this event she was in second place in only her second Olympics doing so well and for just a moment she took her eyes off the course. There was a set path. She was to go this way. And she went the other way. And when she recognized it was, it was the wrong way, she turned around. She finished the race admirably. But she dropped from second way out of medal contention to ninth place. 
You know, it often takes just something small in our lives to get us off track. To allow us to lose perspective on what it is we're really doing and why we're doing it. You know, um, as I talked to Claudia about um, her work and the ministry she's involved with at New York City Relief, you know, Claudia isn't one of the um, outreach leaders or missionaries that goes out every day to serve the, the homeless in New York City. And Claudia is on the part of the administration staff. But what they do is they regularly schedule the admin staff to go out on the bus and to go to the streets to help serve along with all of the other volunteers and, and the missionary staff. And why would that be? What they're doing is so important, and the admin staff is an integral part of that ministry, of course, and they all work together. But if you're in the office day in and day out, months and months at a time, it can get easy to lose sight of the bigger picture. Why is it that we're doing what we're doing? Why are we supporting all of this? And so to get out of the office for a day and to go and to serve takes that focus it's a refocus. It's a recalibration. Don't we need to do that in our own lives? I know as I was preparing the message for today, I recognize I do that as well. I need that as well. You know, I love this calling and this opportunity. I spend a lot of the week reading in preparation, but there's also emails to do. There's administrative things that need to happen, right? There's filing that I need to do. There's just all those things that in day-to-day that come with every job in every task. But it's so easy to get caught up in those things and forget about the bigger picture. It's so important to step back. Even from reading the Scriptures in preparation for Sunday's service, to take a step back and remember, why is it that I'm called to do this? We all need to do that. Why are we called to be here? Wherever you may be in your job, but especially here as part of the church being called out by God. Isn't it so easy to get sidetracked? To be on that course? To be a medal winner? To see that goal ahead? And if you take your eyes off of the path for just a moment, you can veer in the wrong direction. And what do we lose? We lose time. We lose fellowship. We lose blessings. We lose perspective and focus. It's so important to often take a step back and be reminded of who we are in Christ, our true identity, that we have been created to worship. To worship a holy and righteous God. That's the bigger picture. And that's what all of this is related to and goes goes towards being part of God's church. But isn't it easy to get caught up in the details as we say to get those blinders on and lose focus? lose sight of what we're really called to do. And that's where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves today in this passage. God is calling out His religious leaders, the priests, who He set aside, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, set aside to be those that would serve the people, offering sacrifices, right? In the Old Testament sacrificial system, Offering up the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And in Leviticus and elsewhere, there are very specific rules and details about ways that they should do it. 
And it's all related to why they should be worshiping, what's the ultimate purpose, who is it really for, where are they headed, all of that God designed to keep their focus on Him and Him alone. Not the other pagan nations around them, not just on making sure that they had a bumper crop that season, whatever it was. And that's really the sense of Malachi. We just started Malachi last week talking about the indifference of the people. Remember, there was this question and answer going on with God and His people, and He said, I love you. And they said, how do I love you? How have we not shown our love? And then God says, let me show you how. The same thing happens here. You see, in Malachi, there are six what we called oracles or messages. Right? We recognized last week that the proper, the, the best uh, interpretation of that is burden. Because it's a heavy message. It's a heavy load to bear for Malachi. But there are six. this is the second of the six. And we see that God's focus now turns towards the religious leaders, the priests who are polluting the offerings. You remember that this was during the dispensation in God's purpose and in plan for history where the priests offered sacrifices for the people because they were the spiritual leaders, the worship leaders of the day. But their worship had grown cold. Their offerings were unacceptable, insincere. They were not sacrificial. I'm going to offer a lot of scriptures today from different parts of the Bible that will kind of give us uh, different illustrations of what it is that God is showing us in, in these verses from Malachi today. But you'll see how they have grown indifferent. They began to offer worship that was unworthy and they were dishonoring the name of God. In just a moment, I'm, I'm going to read the passage and you're going to see what we're talking about. He continues to talk about my name. God says, my name is being defiled. My name is not being honored. Because that's how we honor Him is through our worship. And so as I read it, it will be up on the screen for you as well. This is Malachi 1. It's verse 6. It goes all the way through chapter 2, verse 9. And here's how it starts. And this is God continuing to speak. He says, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, this means the priest talking back, you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you by saying that the Lord's table may be despised? When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would just shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, 
and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the chief who has a male in his flock, who vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. You shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, And he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. I spent much of the week sitting at my desk reading this, praying, studying, and this was my posture. Lord, have I done this? Have we allowed leaders to lead us astray? Have we as people been willing to let our worship of God grow cold and indifferent? A difficult message to hear. Some words in there which are quite harsh. But does it not just show that we have a God who loves worship, who wants and deserves His name to be honored and glorified? Did you notice how He continually brings up the fact 
that his name, he calls himself the Lord of hosts, the master, the father, the king, the Lord of hosts. That simply is a reference. We know there's many names of God. The Lord of hosts, he's saying, I'm the Lord of the angel armies, the hosts of all the heavens and the earth. It has that implication that he is the Lord of all. You know why? Specifically, because he was saying, look, you people of Israel, my people, you are to be an example and a witness to the pagan world, to those who are non-believers. And the way that you do that is not only in the words you speak, it's in the way that you worship me and love one another. He says, you are defiling my name. You are not honoring my name because you offer the lame, the weak, and the sick animals as worship. He even, he even calls those out to say, those who have the choice to give, and they, they vow and say, God, this is what I'm going to give you. God, I'm going to give you my best. And when the time comes to actually offer up the sacrifice, they keep the best for themselves. And they offer the sick and the lame, which have no value to him. Hard-hitting words. But this really is a message for us to just kind of reflect on where we stand with our God. In everything we offer, whether it's your time, whether it's your money, whether it's the talents you have, the spiritual gifts that you have been given by the Holy Spirit at that moment of salvation, how have you been using all that God has blessed you with? Ask myself that question many times this week. He continues to refer to his name. He says his name is being mocked, not reverence, but despised. That's an interesting word. Like We don't quite use that very often. It's a strong word, isn't it? Despised. Have you ever said that like, I despise something. I mean, that's pretty strong. It's close to like we would say with hate, right? Like, I despise it. I mean, how much more can you dislike something if you say you despise it? But you know what the real the real meaning of that is? It really goes to this. When you despise something, it means that you don't give it enough reverence and weight. It means you think lightly of it. Or you make light of it. That's eh, not that important. That's what leads to indifference. Eh, it's apathetic. Eh. There's this funny commercial. I think it's for like um, breakfast sausage. I don't know. And there's this guy who's always down and always sad. And he comes out and his wife puts a sweatshirt on him. He's got pictures of cats or something. And he comes out and he comes out and he sees a rainbow. And he goes, eh, the rainbow. They're making fun like this guy is... He's just grown apathetic and different to everything, to all of life. But wait until he eats that breakfast sausage. Then he'll be excited, right? Well, it's stuck in my head, right? So I guess it worked. But that's what we see, what's happening in this particular passage with the religious leaders, those who are supposed to be setting an example, the priests who are set aside by God to offer up the sacrifices. In Leviticus 22, Specifically, they're all spelled out how they're supposed to do it. And which animals to sacrifice when and how to go about doing it. It was prescribed by God. Now thank God we don't live under the old covenant any longer. Right? We remember the Lord's table, the new covenant in Christ's blood. 
But it was all spelled out for them. And yet the priests would offer the lame, the sick, the blemished animals in sacrifice to God. They often took the best of what was given and kept it for themselves. How many times in our life have we heard about well-known religious leaders who have had a fall, and nobody is perfect, but how it affects the people that they shepherd, how it affects the witness for our God. See, what happened was they began to rationalize their sin. It says over and over, God says, I am the Lord of hosts and I am to be honored, not despised. If despised really means to to think lightly of and to be indifferent and apathetic towards and not give it the importance that it is due, then the opposite of to despise is to honor. Because when you honor something, the root of that word, especially in the Hebrew, means weight. It's something that has weight to it and value. You see? It's the opposite. God says, you're despising my name. You're thinking lightly of it. You don't care. You're not taking the time to offer the sacrifices in the right way, the sacrifices that will honor me because I am due the honor. I am the master, the father, the king, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he says, my name is to be honored because honor means you give weight to something and you recognize the value. So the message that God gives to Malachi, this tough message, he says, tell the religious leaders of the day that they are despising my name because my name is not being glorified among you and the people around you, the people you're supposed to be a witness to because you are despising, you're you're holding my name in contempt. You're holding it too lightly. Do we use God's name or the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior? Do we use it too lightly? Remember, when we consider ourselves Christians and we let people know it, that's a huge responsibility. It truly is. Think of the weight behind that and all the implications of the fact that you take upon yourself His name, His identity, our identity found in Him. God is saying, how are you representing me? We represent God through our worship. Because worship is simply our response to His goodness. And He says, I have blessed you. And this is how you repay me? They have rationalized their sin. They allowed themselves to become callous, desensitized to sin and disobedience. Especially in their worship. They have lost sight of their calling. They have lost their way. When they were supposed to go right, they went left. Before the exile, before they were in exile, remember the people had just come back from exile, before the prophets spoke mostly against Israel's pagan and idol worship, but after coming back from exile, that wasn't as much of a problem. It was more the people had grown indifferent and apathetic, offering insincere worship. They had also come to believe that God owed them something. That sound familiar? Do we do that sometimes in our relationship with God? Even the way that we think, we might not say it. 
But they have come to believe that God owed them something. See, God, we're doing good deeds. We're going through these motions. So they thought. So therefore, God, bless us. We're your people. You said we're your chosen people, so give us what we deserve. We're doing what you said to do. And he says, really? Are you? You may be mouthing the words, even singing the songs of praise, but what's in here? We cannot assume that what happens in this room or whenever his church gathers together is going to be acceptable to him just because we're here, just because the church is gathered, because what happens here starts here. That's what God is saying. They had even grown tired of waiting for God to fulfill His promises. Verse 8, just quickly to wrap this up, verse 8, right? He says, how about you try doing this with your governor? Like in our context is, how about you try just paying whatever taxes you want to the government? They say you're in this tax bracket, this is how much you owe. How about you, you just fill out your taxes and you write a note saying, I pay what I say. And I'll just, uh, you want, I'll give you five, six percent. That'll be, that'll be good enough for you. So God even says that. He says, try that with your governor. See how that flies with the government. He goes, you're going to, he's basically saying, you're going to respect the government. Did you ever notice how the government gets their money first before you even see your check? That's why when people ask and they say, are we supposed to tithe and, and give off of the gross or the net? Say, so think about, that question God is saying I deserve the first and the best not the last and the least that is what God is telling us he spoke he speaks more in uh, chapter 3 about giving that you can't wait for that one that'll be a good one even verse 10 he says oh if there was just one priest just one priest who would be willing to shut the doors and not even light the fire of the altars. How about that? What is he saying? It's better to shut the doors and not even try to bring your, your blemished sacrifices. I'd rather you shut the doors to the temple and just not even try. Get your heart right first. In verse 11, he talks about it's from Right from the set, from the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, he's saying, "I'm the basically saying, I'm the God of all the nations, the heaven and the earth. Again, the Lord of hosts. There will be pure offerings and worship in the future kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus will return to set up here on earth. But right now, we're supposed to be modeling that, right here and now, because we recognize the goodness of God." Chapter 2, verse 3, just quickly, he's saying there are consequences. These are tough tough verses to read. He's saying, priest, this, I, this is what I command for you. I'm not even going to listen. He says, if you will not listen, I'll not take it to heart. Right? You're not giving honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to send a curse on you. Because you remember at that time under the Mosaic Covenant, there was blessings for obedience There was curses for disobedience. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. I want to just, I'm not going to highlight it, but I have to address it. In verse 3, he says, I will spread dung on your faces, talking to the priests, 
the dung of your offerings and it's going to be taken away from you. What he's saying is that the, the parts of the animal sacrifices which are not to be sacrificed, the innards, the, 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 the guts, the disgusting parts, even the dung he calls it, the stuff you set aside that you don't offer, he goes, that's going to be thrown back into your face. And he makes it public. He says, you will be publicly shamed. You will be publicly shamed because you are dishonoring my name. If you dishonor my name in public, you will be shamed in public. That is what God is saying to these people at this time. Even in such harsh words as that. To say, I will take these parts which aren't even worthy to be burned on the altar as a sacrifice throw them back in your face, and people will then see. Because they are to keep worship pure and undefiled. And doesn't he go on to say, he says, I will receive the worship that is due my name. I will receive it. Because God is a jealous God. Don't we also recognize that Jesus in His day sent most of His time apart from the disciples and even with them, rebuking the religious leaders. You ever notice that when you read through the Gospels? Didn't Jesus spend so much time not arguing, but rebuking, calling out who? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why? Because remember, after Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, 400 years of silence, then we see the New Testament, John the Baptist, Jesus comes on the scene, but nothing has changed with the people of Israel. Now you still have the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, leading their people astray in false worship. And Jesus calls them out. It even says in places that he grew indignant. We never think of Jesus becoming indignant, do we? But he was. Why? It was all because worship was being robbed from himself and God the Father. Two quick examples. This will be up here for you just to show the severity of offering unworthy worship to God. Aaron's son, did you ever read about this? Leviticus 10, the first three verses. It says in Leviticus 10, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each this is when they started to offer sacrifices, the very first time. They each took his censer and put fire in it, and they laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire, some versions might say strange fire, before the Lord, which God had not commanded them. And so fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, the two sons of Aaron. And they died before the Lord. So Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. How about that? His two sons were beginning to offer worship that God had given, but they did it in their own way. God said, offer it this way, and they said, oh, we'll, just, we'll do it this way. So what was the consequences? They were burned up in fire. And, God, and Aaron is standing there as two sons, consumed by fire, because they offered unauthorized worship. And God says, this is what's going to happen. God set the precedent, the, the, pre, the precedent and he said, look, I don't want this to ever happen again. So therefore, take note. And it says Aaron held his peace. Well, God was talking to you, I think. I guess you'd be, you know, moved to that. It was was worship that was not of God. It was not ordained by Him. 
it really represented pride. They, they brought their pride right into worship. We are supposed to sacrifice our pride on the altar before God, not bring it into our worship. We cannot approach God in worship with anything other than a humble heart. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See that? If you come, there's that word despise. If we come before God with a broken and contrite spirit and heart, he says, I won't take that lightly. I won't despise it. I will give that value and weight and honor it. How about what happened with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5? Right? I'm not even going to bother to read it. It would be up there, but we can skip over that. We remember that story. That they had sold a piece of land. They brought their offering, right? Their sacrifice of worship, but it wasn't so sacrificial. Was it? And what happened? They were struck dead. First the husband, then the wife comes in separately, and she says, yeah, 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 we, we gave all the money. And then she is struck dead too. How about that? They had lied. They held back their offering. It was pride and false worship. Listen to these words. These will be up on the screen for you in Amos chapter 5. Again, not fun, but look at what God says about, he says, I hate, I dis, there's that word again, despise. I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I won't even listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He's saying, that's what I want. How about you be real and authentic and sincere? You're going to sing that song to me with your heart the way it is? I'm not even going to listen, is what he's saying. We are called not only to love God, but to fear and respect Him. Deuteronomy 6, it says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your might. We know that one, to love God, right? But it also says a few verses later in 13 and 15, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. And He goes on. For God is a jealous God. See, we're supposed to love Him, but fear. And fear simply means reverence. It doesn't mean be afraid of God. It means to revere Him. It means to honor Him, which, as we say, means how about we give value and weight to the very name of God? In our text today, does He not keep saying, I am the Lord of hosts? I am the God who will be known among you and the whole world. That's what God is saying. But how is, listen, how is the world going to know if you don't first worship me? That's why we say we gather here as the church. God has called us to be the church and we are doing this to equip each other, to encourage each other, to live out the faith, but not to just stay here in these four walls but to then go out into the world and be His representatives. Worshiping Him. If we had visitors come in that are not yet believers, would they see people worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Some other verses, just they're important, so I want to show them to you. So we wrap up our time. Romans 12, 1. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual worship. How do we worship God? Surrendering ourselves to Him. We place our pride, our will, our entire life on the altar. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are now God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in you? We don't need to come into this building or into a temple to worship God. Remember in John 4, when the, 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 the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and, and Jesus says, the time is coming and now is. For the worshipers, the true worshipers, will worship God in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. We are to worship God in spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us, but truth through the word of God. And finally, some quick applications. And then together we will end our gathering here around the Lord's table, remembering remembering why we worship what he has done for us. Think about these things, especially even as you have a time of reflection during the Lord's table. Do you know God? Perhaps if you have misconceptions about who he is, his heart, his desires, his character, that will lead to false worship. Do you get your understanding and knowledge of who God is from his word? Oftentimes we can fall into that trap of kind of putting together our own conception of who God is and how he operates. Yeah, God and I are like this. We have an understanding. See, I know how God works and how he works. So, you know, we're good. That can lead to false expectations, a false reality, and false worship. We are to check our hearts. What is it that we offer God in worship? We are to give first, to give best, to give sacrificially. I remember as a youth pastor, I would get so frustrated. I knew their heart was generally good, but this happens to every youth pastor. You have we have a, we had a large youth group, you know, and from time to time people would want to bring things in for the youth ministry. And they would say, hey, I have this old broken ping pong table. I just thought it would be great for your youth group. And I would think, and my first thought would be, you thought your old broken ping pong table would be great for the teenagers. See, especially as a youth pastor, I felt like I was needed to represent them and stick up for them and say, we don't just relegate the youth to a Wednesday night service and we just kind of want to keep them and their music out, you know, just keep them over here. We don't want them to bring that to Sunday morning worship. See, so, yeah, I have this old thing sitting around, so how about I bring that to youth group? Have you ever done that? Like, hey, I got this old broken thing, and I'll give it to the church. Sometimes we fall into that mindset of good enough. Ah, this will be good enough. What are we saying? I don't want this in my home anymore, so how about... We bring it into church. But see, that in, to me, that relates to our relationship with God. Right? Maybe we give our first and our best elsewhere. And we say, oh, I got some time left for you, God. Here you go. You don't show up to a Thanksgiving feast at your relative's house with leftovers already, do you? Leftovers are what comes on after. There's nothing wrong with leftovers, especially at Thanksgiving. But you don't show up with it. 
say, here's turkey I made last week. You know? Or maybe you have. But then finally, it says in in, in chapter 2 that the priests were to teach the Word of God. To teach the law. They weren't even doing that. They weren't leading them in worship, proper worship, and they weren't teaching the law. I took this so to heart. Because as the teaching elder here, I am held accountable to do what? To teach the Word of God. To teach the truth. I'm held accountable by God and by the church. See, you are to exercise discernment in whatever I teach. Never to take just my word for it. Always going back to check against the Scriptures what you hear. Do you listen to preachers and pastors on the radio? Do you listen to podcasts on your computer? Don't just assume because they get to be on the radio or they have a podcast that's broadcast on the Internet because you know if it's on the Internet, it must be true, right? Don't just assume. We know what happens when we assume, right? How about you bring it back to Scripture? And as you grow in your maturity, the Holy Spirit helps you to check that. He becomes your filter and say, I'm not sure, that doesn't sound quite right. Whether it's coming from me or somebody else, we always go back to the source because the priests were not doing that either. Our worship is our response to God and His goodness. It's our response to God and His goodness. But now, as we come around the Lord's table, here is what I've been waiting for, what hopefully you've been waiting for. Here is the message of hope for us today. We know that it says at the end of these passages that we read often during communion, during the Lord's table from 1 Corinthians, it says, whoever eats this bread